Okay, I'm not pulling on my driveway. We all know what that means. It's time for another drive to work, coronavirus edition. Okay, so I've been doing a lot of talking with different R&D folk of present and past. Today's present. Um, so I have Ken Nagel with me to talk about World Wake. Hey, Ken. Hey, Mark. I'm excited to be here and excited to talk about World Wake. It's my favorite set of all time. So it was I your first. It's your first design lead, right? Yes, it was my first drop of Zendikar, and it was uh, pretty early. In fact, I was remember being in the office with you and Bill Rose, and you're like, we'd like you to lead World Wake. It's a little like early and rough, but uh, we'd like you to go for it because it's a small set, you know, and I was on the big set Zendikar, so... So uh, recently, I did a podcast with Matt Place where we talked all about Zendikar. So this is kind of a follow-up to that because this is the set after Zendikar. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit. So you had been on the design team for Zendikar, and we approached you to leading the set. This was the first set you were going to lead. So what 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 did you do to prepare for leading the set? Well, the first biggest preparation was to be on the set before it, Zendikar, uh, to learn that in and out. Because a lot of the stuff that was made in Zendikar was sort of on the cutting room floor and all became potential stuff to put in the expansion, right? Um, and then the other thing that I did was uh, there was a lot of card designs that I sort of was brainstorming up into that point. And when I was the lead of a set for the first time, I sort of got to use them all. Uh, it's kind of a... You know, a big smattering of shotguns of a bunch of cards that I had uh, previously been storing in like a document on my computer. Um, so uh, that that was uh, the totality of it up until that point. Okay, so let's let's walk through some of the components and we'll and we'll reminisce on how they came to be. So let's start with multi kicker because you just said something that reminded me of multi kicker. So where did multi kicker come from? Yeah, so multi-kicker did not come from World Wake. It came from Zendikar uh, proper, uh, which has kicker and had kicker and had multi-kicker. Uh, if I recall on like some of the bigger, rarer stuff, uh, it's a world about uh, rich mana, world about lands, and kicker is a way to use them. Multi-kicker is a way to keep using them, right? So... Uh, what ended up happening was there was enough stuff in Zendikar itself and the larger kicker uh, cards, I think there's a cycle of them, that have like kicker five or so, uh, that changed from multi-kicker to normal kicker and said, hey, we don't need to use this multi-kicker thing in this set. We could actually save it for the small set. And so it was sort of a fateful day to find out that, that hey, the Zendikar team doesn't think they need multi-kicker, and World Weight can now run with it. Uh, so that that's what I recall. This uh, like Conqueror's Pledge here I have in my hand, these big kickers on these rares, uh, became large kickers instead of multi-kickers. But we kept the multi-kickers in uh, World Weight. Yeah, the, the reason I think we made multi-kicker was we were bringing kicker back, and we're like, oh, we should... We should change it up a little bit, you know, because obviously um, Kicker was was an invasion, right? So we were trying to to do something new with it. 
And then we realized that we didn't need to, that we could just kind of do the basics, and then we saved it. So that, 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 is, uh, that happens from time to time, especially in the world of the blocks. Sometimes you save stuff for later in the blocks. Right, so what that ended up being is a whole lot of cards changed overnight, and then I got to make a relatively, I don't know if you'd call them simple, but we tried to make them simple. Here's an Enclave Elite. It's a cycle of multi-kicker commons that all they did was get counters, and so they were sort of like X spells running around, uh, and that started as the simple cards. And then from there, we sort of went up from there, up the rarities. Um, so it, it was fun to explore doing the multi-kicker stuff. I got to ultimately make an XY card, which is what Fireball at one point was. It had an X variable and a Y variable. But with multi-kicker, we could make an X spell and put multi-kicker on it to be the Y component. And so Comet Storm is that, and Strength of the Tajuru is another one that is... Uh, making use of multi-kicker mechanic where we probably couldn't make those cards otherwise. Okay, so let's, let's talk about another theme. So one of the big themes of World Wake was uh, land that attacked. Ooh, yes. So, so uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, talking to Brady at the time, we wanted the land uh, Brady, itself Brady, Brady Dabramath, who was the creative director, just real quickly, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, so <laughs> talking to the creative director, we needed a sort of a gimmick to where the Zendikar plane itself would rise up and fight. It was a uh, it was described as sort of like an autoimmune system response, okay? Because what was ultimately going to happen in the next set was the rise of the Eldrazi. But in the meantime, we didn't really know that. However, the land itself could wake up and do battle for you. Uh, and that was quite a challenge because it's kind of difficult to have the lands become these vulnerable creature permanents and then have it happen a lot, you know? it's They're sitting sort of down in your mana. They're not supposed to be uh, stars and attacks and blocks and surprise people. But uh, we ultimately made the Zendikons at common as our sort of ways to make lands attack and it ultimately became the uh, name of the set the world wake the world is waking up um so explain what zendikons are for those that might not know yeah so zendikons is a it's, we made a cycle of commons they all enchant a land they turn it into a creature and because that's sort of a vulnerable thing to do we give you a rebate, meaning if your land dies, you, you actually get the land back and you can play it again. You don't get the enchantment back, the aura, that goes to the graveyard. However, we knew that we needed to give them a little bit of stickiness. So you can then play the land again and maybe enchant it again, but probably just get a nice landfall trigger out of it. Um, so that was our Zendikon cycle of lands at common to get you to attack um, with the theme of the set, one of the themes of the set. Okay, also, uh, the set had some high-profile um, lands that turned into creatures, right? Yeah, so uh, it was, I think, pitched by multiple people, and myself included. I said we could do dual lands that become creature lands. Previously, creature lands, very powerful things, lots of constructed decks use them like treetop villages, 
scary conclaves. Yeah, we talking stones. Right, we so uh, antiquities had introduced Mishra's factory, which I believe was the first land that sort of animated itself, and then uh, in Treetop Village was. Urza's legacy. Urza's, Urza's legacy. So there was a cycle in Urza's legacy, um, but we we hadn't done a lot of it. We hadn't done a lot of, of lands that kind of woke up. And right, the big idea here was dual lands that wake up, right? Yeah. So the the crazy part was to somehow uh, do one better, and it's actually really hard to do one better than uh, those cards than a Mistress Factory, but. Uh, it was. I know that I pitched it in a meeting. I said we could do these cool ones. Here's a red green one. Here's a white blue one. I think I did like a Sarah Angel on the white blue one, and I don't know if it was temporary or permanent. The permanent way is to do like stalking stones. The temporary way is to do like a treetop village. But uh, they did make it in. They were nice and spicy. And then I'm holding in my hand a dread statuary. This uncommon that. Performan becomes a 4-2. It's kind of like the uncommon version. This was added by Mike Tyrion uh, during the set as, like, we can't just have the theme be this rare cycle, this common cycle. We need it more than that. So we added sort of this uh, uncommon in the middle. I said, sounds cool to me. Uh, so it's this kind of 4-2 Mistress Factory-like land. Um. Okay, so... Um, it- Let's talk about some other themes in the set. Um, so one of the things that we definitely did was we continued on with things that had been in Zendikar, right? So landfall, traps, quests, and stuff. Talk about uh, some of the evolutions. How, how did we evolve landfall? How, like, how did that come about? Sure. So some of the, um, I'll say some of the stuff that was immediately uh, continued. So I love that there were these common little lands that came in the play and did something. And so we have a second cycle of common lands, this Palomar Depths and my favorite one, the Colony Garden. So we, those were just pure continuations of Zendikar. We wanted cool stuff to do with your lands. Uh, we continued with landfall creatures. Uh, here's a caustic crawler uh, landfall. That's nice and common. And the weird thing that Uh, I pitched was what if spells could somehow have landfall on them because that's something that wasn't in main size Zendikar. So that also became a common cycle. Uh, And it was a a strange evolution. Here's a tomb hex I'm holding. Creature gets minus two, minus two, or landfall, minus four, minus four, if a land entered the battlefield near control. So this doesn't trigger on every single land. It's sort of looking at in the past for a land. Um, so that, that's an evolution of landfall that wasn't all that deep. It's kind of hard to do, but it was something that uh, would be a small set kind of exploration. Do you remember how we, a full cycle of how, how did you come up with the idea of putting on spells? Um, I was just trying to put it everywhere. It's, it's sort of what happened in the first playtest for World Wake. It was like over-themed. Mm-hmm. Because the early playtests, that's all we didn't have multi That's all we really had to go on before doing evolutions of other things. So landfall was the first thing to evolve because it was the absolute thing that was staying into the main set of Zendikar. So it was really safe to just 
go crazy and try to do more. Another evolution that didn't make it uh, was like forest fall or island fall, right? That kind of thing. So it was a landfall, and then it could also do something a better landfall if you played the right kind of land. Right, it had an upgrade if it was the right kind of land. Yeah, and so that that felt cool. It felt like an evolution. It ended up not getting into the set because we just was there's just enough design space and landfall in general, and that actually ended up uh, on like Akuum Hillkite, uh, in. There's like a Tazim Sphinx and stuff in the later Zendikar set where it actually did do landfall something bonus if, if you're on color. Um, so a lot of times when you make stuff, uh, luckily you can sort of put it in the back burner, put it in, the, in your little card catalog in your head and bring it back up later when we inevitably make more cards using the mechanic or go to the same plane or try to do throwbacks or something like that. Now, do you remember any other evolutions? Um, there was the the spell lands, the landfalls that were specific to landfalls. Those those one made it, one didn't. I don't remember other things. We had a bunch of stuff that I got cut that we cut though. So what do we what do we cut? Let's um, talk with some stuff we got cut. I had, I had some bizarre like things that would charge up. Like, imagine if you could somehow, uh, like, keep your lands tapped. You know, you could pay for things and then, like, leave your lands tapped to, to make them better or something like that. So it was, like, Kicker but Echo and Kicker at the same time. You know, something like that. Uh, but it was trying to count your lands that you were doing it with. It was really weird and not very cool. We had this other bizarre version of Landfall, which was not Landfall. It was... You didn't play a land, uh, right? And that was terrible because it's the opposite of what you naturally want to do. Uh, right, that was the, pre- so that was the precursor. That. The precursor to landfall was using your land drop as a cost to do other things with it. And right, it led to people mana-screwing themselves and it wasn't fun. Yeah, we thought it would be like, your land is now a resource. You just Did you play a land? Okay, what if you didn't? What if you somehow generated ways to play lands and didn't use them that'd be cool it was you know very very not cool. yeah it, uh, so, it didn't play well <laughs> yeah that's sort of a zendikar thing i feel like a, a man magic design in general reward players for doing what they already want to do yeah right? they want to play a spell they want to attack they want to play a land they you know just Normal things instead of just inverting everything to be weird for weird sake. Uh, so we just kept staying the course of, of doing only the things that just made sense and moving your game forward. Yeah. So other things I know, um, we messed around. So traps were introduced in the first set in, Z- in Zendikar, but we, we started messing around with their costs a little more, right? Yeah. So traps were early Zendikar as an. Uh, we had really bizarre ways to play them outside the game that ended up being foretell in a very, very future place. <laughs> but the traps we ended up with, they just cost less if your opponent sort of trips them. If they're doing the wrong thing, it triggers your trap. And then I think maybe the very first card I added to the World Wake file 
was a boulder trap because it was somehow cut. And I was super, super peeved that we just didn't do a giant boulder trap that would just roll over you and crush you. Yeah. Uh, and so I specifically remember logging in only to type in a single card, uh, which became Stone Idol Trap. Uh, and it does have a goofy, goofy cost reduction that has to do with if more than one thing is attacking you. And people don't seem to like that, but, I mean, I've read a tournament report where someone was able to block multiple things with multiple stone idol traps because uh, they cast more than one of them in the same turn, which is what I was getting at, which is it's a trap that can be triggered in a scaling way, and maybe multiples of them get triggered in the same turn. So it may not be obvious uh, from the card design itself, but uh, that is an evolution of traps that's you know subtle and probably you know uh, wasn't conveyed very well. Anyway, okay. So I want to talk about some individual cards. Yep, um, yep. Okay, so probably the most famous card from the set is uh, Jace the Mind Sculptor, one of the most powerful Planeswalker cards we've ever made. Um, what is your memory? How, how did Jace the Mind Sculptor come about? What is your memory of this card? All right, so my, my memory of Jace the Mind Sculptor was we're going to have a Jace in this set. He's going to be sort of on the key art. He is going to be a four ability planeswalker he's gonna stay mono blue nothing crazy just the four ability part is the crazy part uh we're gonna invent a new frame for it so it needs to be drawn up his art's gonna be like squished and then uh so real quick i just want to jump in uh the it wasn't actually a new frame per se i mean it was a new frame but when we first made the frames for the planeswalkers i said to them we're going to do a four, a four one. While you're making the three loyalty one, make a four loyalty one. We're going to do it one day. Let's make it now. And so they actually, we actually had it. In, we had it like in our back pocket. We were, we were waiting for the right place to use it. Um, and I, I felt like Jace was the right place to use it. So I, I think I, I put my foot down and said, "This is the first four. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the only planeswalker in the set is pulling a lot of weight. Uh, so we knew we wanted some kind of poem, right? You should read, since there's four things you can write on there, we wanted it to sort of like, and then, and then, and then, and then, like it tells a story, right? So uh, a lot of planeswalkers, they can sort of tick down to nothing, and the other plan is to tick them up into an ultimate. Um, the ultimate is the one that probably changed the least. I, I remember putting in the ultimate because it's, the story of him mind wiping Alhamaret, his teacher. So that, that actually is a story thing where you exile your opponent's library and their hand becomes their library. It's actually trying to be a top down story moment. Uh, and I've heard from many people that they have never lost if they've ultimated a Jace the Mind Sculptor. Uh, the goal is not to, to where you never lose, you know, ever. It's not supposed to win the game it's supposed to get you really really close um but uh <laughs> i've actually never heard of anyone losing after ultimating him but so, yeah the rest of him did change very much and uh it was Tyrion, the lead developer who wanted to do a brainstorm effect um because you can like do combo things if you use a brainstorm you can then sort of mess with it 
after you use it. So that's why he's got this fate ceiling scrying thing with a brainstorm thing. Uh, those two combo together. So let's talk a little bit. So not only was he the first four loyalty planeswalker, he was also the first planeswalker that had zero loyalty ability. Did, did that happen yeah. in Vision, or was that in set, in development? It was It was not. I don't remember specifically wanting to do a zero. It was just a sort of knob, and this guy has lots of <laughs> slots on his character sheet, more or less, so he could make use of that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, it was... It was definitely new in many different ways, and because it had so many moving pieces, uh, we more or less it. I did less on Jason Mind Sculptor than I get credit for. <laughs> I will say that out loud. Um, I, I don't get it nearly as much now because we've we've made many many planeswalkers uh, now. But at the at the time, they were like, "What were you thinking?" <laughs> Obviously, this part is wrong, or that part is. Wrong. I was like, "Well." You know, he's got a lot of stuff on him, and we tried hard to get him uh, strong and still fun. But anyway, just don't I mean, for those that I, I should have said this earlier. So, Jace the Mind Sculptor, by the way, costs two blue, blue, four mana total, two which is blue. He's got a loyalty of three. His plus two is look at the top card of Tardo Player's Library. You may put that card on the bottom of that player's library. He's got a zero ability, which is draw three cards, then put two cards from your hand on top of your library in any order. He's got a minus one ability, which is return target creature to its owner's hand. And then this minus 12 is XL all cards from target player's library. And that player shuffles his or her hand into his or her library. Um, okay, I want to talk about another card that did something pretty weird. Um, Eye of Ugin. Ooh. So let, 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 let me say, I should have done this last time up front. Eye of Ugin is a legendary yeah. land. Colorless Eldrazi spells you cast cost two less to cast. Seven and tap. Search your library for a colorless creature card, reveal it, and put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. And the flavor text was, and I closes, a race awakens. So what's going on here? Yeah, so there's a lot going on here. So Ayavugan is a, it's the first legendary, sorry, it's the first mythic land. So that's a, uh, a new thing that is trying to uh, live up to. The next part is it's trying to be this, like, story moment, okay, where it's sort of uh, the Eldrazi uh, are coming. It's like this teaser, okay, uh, but we don't want to just say it. It needs to just tease, right? It's, got, it's trying to ride the line here. Right, so at this point, the Eldrazi, that word doesn't mean anything to anybody. I don't, yeah. know, I don't think they knew, I don't know if they even knew the next step was called Rise of the Eldrazi yet. So right. when we say colorless Eldrazi spells, the game didn't have Eldrazi spells. So you're like, what, is, what does that mean? It didn't mean, didn't mean anything. And nothing in the set tells you what that means. Right. So there's, there's no context for half of the card, right? And so uh, this is after, you guys have seen the final card. You didn't see all the iterations before this where it wasn't like this at all. It was trying to be this weird mythic land. It was trying to tease the story beats. Um, the like, you, and Ugin's a character in there. Oh my god, it's so hard. So I actually didn't make this card. In fact, very, we had to be rescued by Brian Tinsman. This is Brian Tinsman's card. He he took all the parts that were a teaser, a mythic land, and 
this the story story beat of the Eldrazi showing up and ended up with something really close to what you see here. Um, the Kolas Eldrazi spells is a throw forward because he was leading Rise of the Eldrazi um, at the time, the set after this. And then to make it not completely blank, it does let you find a Kolas creature card, right? So it can do something uh, if you happen to open it. So it's not a total whiff in the time it's been printed. Uh, I know it caused a lot of conversation. That was kind of the point, okay? So, like, I was very flabbergasted that of how close to correct this card was um, after the fact. And I want to congratulate Brian Tinsman of doing a very good job where I sort of failed as a designer to come up with something that could, you know, satisfy all the criteria of this crazy card and what it was trying to get across. Um, however, we fast forward a bunch of time, and now Colas Eldrazi are not gigantic things that cost tons of colorless mana they're just really efficient uh low drops and, and it has to get banned for that reason but that's because it, it was not designed to throw forward that far it was only throwing forward one set and not throwing forward you know 12 sets so uh i will say congrats brian tinsman on a wonderful throw forward for one card and it all it was going to break at some point uh, <laughs> because we just can't anticipate that far in the future. Okay, so Ken, we we have a little bit of time left. Are there cards you'd like to talk about? Any, any card that you have a a fond memory of or a fun story for? Yeah, so I have a bunch. Uh, I'll just try to hit the top ones. So I have this Terracidon in my hand, one of my favorite cards that I've ever designed. Okay, so this is eight mana elephant who's a nine nine. He enters the battlefield, destroys up to three target non-creature permanents. And for each one destroyed, its controller gets a 3-3 green elephant. And so this was a sort of, in I mentioned back of my mind, in my sort of card catalog design that I wanted to do, is some way to sort of blow up stuff in a green way that was pretty decision-intensive, right? And it's, it's like 18 power of elephants all at the same time in one card. Uh, you can grief with it and blow up some lands, or you could be pretty cool with it. Um, I, I think it's net positive fun, uh, and I just like designing giant green monsters in general. Uh, it's one of my favorite things to do. Uh, you, you, you do, you do love green. By, For those who don't know yeah, Ken, Ken is a big fan most. of green. Yeah, it's, it's, it has all the fun stuff in it. It gets to do all the fun mechanics of making creatures, making mana, getting lands, gaining life. Making killing your opponent with way too much damage. That's all uh, green stuff. Uh, I've been told by uh, Aaron Forsyth that he thinks Terrestidon is the most Ken Nagel card. Uh, so <laughs> the most ever Ken Nagel card. That is what I'm bringing up. If you cast a Terrestidon, you are embodying this my spirits the the most, I suppose. Um, Stone Auto Trap I mentioned. Uh, I'm pretty happy with this Pilgrim's Eye that I put in the set to go get a land. There's there's lots of small things that well, here, I, that I like a lot. So Pil- Pil- I just wanted mm-hmm. to, as we talk about it. so Pilgrim's Eye, three mana artifact creature, one one, flying. It's a Thopter, and then when it enters the battlefield, you search your library for a basic land, reveal, and put it into your hand. Right. It's it's um it's been reprinted once or twice. I 
like the the times when I'm pretty happy is when I make a card and then someone else decides to reprint it, uh, you know, unbeknownst to me in one of the many products that we make. Uh, this nature's claim I designed as sort of this uh, thought-provoking way to destroy an artifact shaman. It's a green mana instant, destroy a artifact shaman. It's controller gains for life, and people were actually casting this in, like, vintage as a single mana way to, like, bust up a combo where four life may not matter. But once in a while, you aim it at your own stuff to get life at instant speed. So... Um, I didn't expect it to get adopted in like very ruthless constructive formats. That was not what I was going for. I, I just wanted a, just like the Terracidon, you, you lose a thing but get a thing. I, I kind of like, like those cards more than usual. I think so there's a green card I need to ask about now that I'm looking at it right now. Um, can we talk about yeah. Omnath? How did Omnath come to be? Oh, so Omnath came is totally top-down design. Omnath is a creature in the world guide completely made of the mana of Zendikar, an embodiment. Uh, and so that's sort of what I tried to do. It is based off of a card design I made in my sort of job interview of creatures that sort of just got bigger as you were adding mana to your mana pool. And so it is a top-down thing of mana. And I thought that the Brian Tinsman design of upwelling was cool, where mana just doesn't leave your pool. However, it's kind of hard to track. So if we just say green mana, it's way easier to track. Um, and uh, that that's a mono green uh, way to sort of float your mana and have this sort of creature that is the embodiment of it walking around the battlefield of Zendikar. So anyway, we're, I'm almost to my desk here. So any any final thoughts about uh, about World Lakes? I'll just I'll just say World Lakes, my favorite set. Um, totally ecstatic. I made a video about it. Even uh, wrote a scripting language to animate cards. Even so, you can look at World Wake video tour and find it on YouTube. Uh, and if you ever get the chance to lead a magic set. I highly recommend it. <laughs> so uh, if you get a chance, don't say no. <laughs> yeah, of the handful of people where they get to do it. It's super awesome. You'll learn so much of just how difficult it is to make a game, to make uh, mechanics, to make cards, to make a format, right? There's multiple formats, multiple audiences you have to satisfy. Um uh, and it's a huge learning process and a, a wonderful time. And you have something that everyone can enjoy, including, like, you know, your friends and family. And you can talk about it on a Markers Order podcast way in the future. Well, anyway, guys, uh, I can see my desk. So we all know what that means. It means it's the end of my drive to work. So instead of talking magic, it's time for me to be making magic. So thank you, Ken, for being with us today. It was wonderful, Mark. I love talking about my favorite things ever. Uh, <laughs> well, thanks, Ken. And to all of you, I will see you all next time. Bye-bye.